All right, guys, we're back with another episode of Talking Cash. I'm your host, Zach Hayes. With me, as always, the co-host of Talking Cash, Mr. Ryan Kirsten. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're, we're having a little bit of fun with the one and only Rabbit Hole Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey. This is... Uh, this is a good one here. We always like to have a little bit of a, a, a drink with our conversation. If you're talking cash, you might as well have a couple in you, right? I, I agree. It's the only way to do it. This is the high rye small batch. So smooth. It is smooth. Car- caramel flavors for days. I think one episode, we're going to have to kind of do a, a ranking of our favorites. Yeah. Uh, and hey, guess what? We'll compare pricing on them so we can we can lead into a talking cash. Perfect. We'll always be talking cash, even when it comes to our whiskey. What's your budget for bur- bourbon and whiskey? Because I know it. Well, I can appease. At, at least we can. Uh, at least you and I have a little bit of disposable income to throw around there. But you know, the one thing we're going to talk about on this episode of Talking Cash is something that I brought up to you, and you were kind of like, "Holy shit! I never thought about this." Yeah. This isn't something that is really a. Uh, um, a, a normal topic of conversation, but I, I kind of wanted to frame this up as the millennial housing bubble. Dang. And, and by that, I mean, looking around, we're out here in the Midwest. We see so many suburbs. We see so many big houses. And as the older generation is down, getting ready to downsize, we're not finding buyers in our area for these big oversized homes. I, I've, I've seen this from personal experiences from friends and family, and it's, it's just a different um, age that we're living in, which when this all, if this all hits at once, we're going to see a major collapse in our housing market as a result of this. Nothing to do with people losing their jobs, nothing to do with people... Um, uh, you know, the, the, the market crash, market crash or anything like that. It's going to just be a supply and demand issue where there's a surplus of these big homes. Yeah, no, I, I think it just we're in our second house in my, in my personal situation. And we upgraded from a house that was by my standards was big anyway, but, um, you were, you were living the, uh, the, the dream at that point, I yeah. mean, by comparison to your previous generations. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We're, we had made it. I mean, we made it. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's from, from my area, I guess, from my hood. But when we were looking the first and the last second, this last time, you know, we saw these big houses that, yeah, Hey, we want these, but well, this, that's a little of our budget. We can't, we can't go. It just seemed like there was a, there was a, there was a huge gap between what we wanted and our budget. I, 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 I gotta believe everybody experiences that for sure. But what I noticed is, okay, we have, a, we're going to start a family. So we want a house we can grow into, but those houses kind of like they went drastically from like, um, uh, like a colonial two story to like these big, big houses. And we wanted them, but man, yeah. they were on our budget. We, we couldn't do it. When you're staying out of your budget, just be just be honest with us. What kind of? I mean, give us a range. You don't yeah, have to say we the exact were, number, but I mean, what what was like out of reach for you guys? Where you're like, I wish I could afford this, but we can only be down here. Yeah, we wanted to be in the two fifty to three hundred. Three hundred was the high. Um, everything that we were looking at that we liked was four fifty to seven hundred thousand, and we're like, no, no, this is not good. And that's a big gap. You know, they kind of yeah. the realtors I talked to. Um, they seem to say, you know, once you get over that five hundred thousand dollar mark, your uh, your your customer base, available buyers, almost immediately drops. It yeah. changes completely at that five hundred thousand dollar mark because there's just not 
a, a market for people can, who can afford, afford it. it. Yeah. So that's why you see, I mean, you've mentioned this to me. You see these big houses that look awesome, you know, and the price tags are on that 500 or plus mark and they're sitting and they sit and they sit and they sit, which all the realtor people are like, oh, that makes it unattractive. And then you got to relist and all that kind of stuff. Or drop the price, cut the cost. Yeah. You know, you and, see it but, dropping by like, 15, 20, $30,000 at a time just to move. Yeah, and that tells you what the market's at right now. I mean, nobody wants to buy that house. It's, it's just one, there's not enough people, to, enough buyers that want it and, or on all those other factors, you know, geographic area, all that kind of thing. But, you know, there's a lot of big houses out there. And in the, sub, in the suburbs, you see bigger houses. Sure. You drive up in the thumb of Michigan and the up north, you see tiny little dinky houses, you know, you, you see shacks, people living in trailers. Or at the or at that same time, you see the big houses, but they're surrounded by, you know, 40 acres yeah. on either side of them. It's not these subdivisions that are no. like, boom, boom, no, boom. No, the subdivisions person, are- Person, person, person. Yeah, but person, 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 but big house, big house, big house, all big houses. And I think the advantage we have for being in this area, if you look at an area like Washington Township in Macomb County, which is where you know we are uh, kind of referencing here because this is the area that, we, uh, that currently in. we're currently in, this is like, to me, the Petri dish or the experiment of what we're going to see uh, come to fruition because- it is new build after new build after new build after new build. And these houses are getting bigger and bigger. You have subdivisions that are, um, you know, 30, 40 years old that have homes that are still worth, you know, anywhere in the, the high threes to, uh, you know, upwards of a million dollars to homes right across the way that are brand new builds that I got to believe some of these houses are over $2 million that we see driving up and down some of these busy roads in these brand new subdivisions. And it's not like they're on a big piece of of land. land. Who are these people that are, are making this money that can afford these kind of homes? And where will those buyers be when the millennials come a call in because those are not the houses they want. And there's a very small um, segment of that group that can afford these homes uh, and, and even 30 years from now. Okay. On top of that, um, when we sold our house, it was a two story house. There was a house that sold maybe three, four months before ours listed. It was a ranch. The ranch went for more than our house. I mean, there's some other factors in there. We sold in the winter, they sold in the summer. Sure. But more people want ranches because they're older people that want to downsize. They don't want to go upstairs, and they're harder. Those are much harder to come by. They're and they're usually you know more expensive to build. So that's why you don't see a lot of those out there. Uh, so uh, yeah, I guess those would be more desirable than they, they move quicker than the two story houses. Oh yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't make any sense to me. Like well, and see, I I get that too because we you know even as we start to look for homes, my wife and I. Uh, we've, we've kind of looked at that and said, yeah, I, it would be really nice to have a ranch. You know, it's just sprawling. You got the yeah. uh, one wing and another wing. You don't have to worry about going up and downstairs, but we, the way we grew up, that wasn't what the, the American dream painted for us. It wasn't, you didn't see that and say, Hey, go get yourself a nice ranch. It was get the big McMansion. That's two stories, the bigger, the better. And I think that's maybe what plays into your psyche a little bit is that, we're going off of that concept of bigger is better. Mm-hmm. And you wanted the two-story house because it was more appealing, not because it was cheaper to build or that it was, you know, it, uh, you know, it's what was out there. It's what was being sold to you. Yeah, sure. And there's a lot of marketing that goes into that, but you have a lot of these big houses. Um, and frankly, these big houses get old and they need maintenance. And they need a lot of maintenance. They need a lot more maintenance. And, and so and that's like, not even the updating No, then you got to update them. Keep up with the times. 
Yeah, so there, there's these this big supply of houses out there, but then you're saying to me that oh, you don't think these are gonna these are these are gonna people are gonna want to buy these? No. And we've talked before about millennials and jobs and the and the struggle that uh, a lot of people right now in the, in the early in their job or early in their career are, are finding. It's like okay, there's not a lot of jobs out there, and then the amount of money you think you're making compared to your cost and compared to wh- how you ever you spend your money, how, how far financially responsible are you financing a lot of things? Are you a saver? If you're a saver, you're going to be a much better situation than a person who's financing and you're keeping your income levels level. So sorry for back two words in a row, but your income level isn't rising. How are you going to afford a big house? And if you are going to afford a big house, you're going to potentially, you're going to stretch yourself too thin. And that's what people do right now. So if it's going to get tougher, that's going to increase. Well, Not to mention in the last 20 years, let's say 30, the number of people filing bankruptcies has risen and that's exponentially. In, you said in the last 30 years? Or? Yeah. Okay. And, and, and really what I'm saying is the, 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 traditional personal finance strategies are failing at a record rate. So you have to look at things differently. So along with that, how are these people going to afford big houses? Well, no. And here's the other thing, Ryan, and this is one thing to consider. You know, when you look at a, a home, you're buying it as an investment. So if you're building or you're buying a five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars house today, you would be, you know, under the impression that when you go to sell it in 20, 25, 30 years, that, you know, that house would end up increasing in value. Yeah. So going so not only are we talking about buying a house that's expensive, we're saying that 30, 20 years from now, that house might cost another $150,000 if if the the inflation keeps up and if the market continues to be uh in the growth stages, which that's what we've been experiencing here in the housing market. There's nothing that's telling you that it's going to slow down until the market fails because until that 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 the buyers are no longer there and these people when they need to downsize can't that's when you're going to see the panic set in what happens to these homes if they can't be sold and what happens when these people can't afford to take you know a $200,000 hit on their home we've seen that happen we know people personally who they've put their house on the market and have almost Drop the price by you know a third of what they were originally asking for, and not everybody has the luxury to be able to do that and not hurt themselves financially. Mm-hmm. They were able to take a hit because they already had the money. It yeah. wasn't a big deal. It sucks, them. but they can. It sucks, but survive exactly. Not everybody can do that. No. And then when you don't have a buyer, what happens next? And you need to downsize mm-hmm. because of the upkeep. You don't want to put that roof on again. You don't want it's to not like do the driveway. Take a level of your house off. <laughs> you no, know? and you or and you can't. You're not going to Airbnb it or open it up to a, a tenant to come move back in. And you know the the people who do need these homes are multi generational families who are living with you know grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, and everybody is under one roof. Yeah, and that is what you see a lot of in these big homes where okay. it almost it turns into multi family housing for generations. The, this is what happens in Europe, specifically Greece. I can talk to Greece. I was there. 
they have these the huts. They're square. They're rectangle boxes. And what they do when their child grows, they build a second level on top for the okay. For so the it doesn't wife start as that big of a house, but no. they just bring them but under one roof. They're boxes. They look nice because they're painted white. That's like the requirement by some of the islands. They have a requirement where you can paint okay the island the the housing white. It's got to have a white whatever whitewash to it. They look cool, but I mean, I'm looking at it like, dang, I want to live in that little box. You know, plus it's hot there. But okay, so the point I'm trying to make is. The jobs in the economic environment there are so bad that you get married, you you stay with your parents. You're either moving in with the the, the husband's parents or the, the wife's parents. So there's never this idea of I'm going to go out and get my own place and start my no, family. You're, no, you're immediately an, moving in. You build an addition on the parents' house for them to live. Okay, so why am I talking about Greece? Because I saw this, but why is that alarming? Well, the deficit, the spending of the government right now, we're at tw- our uh, the uh, last on that U.S. debt clock. I look, we're at twenty three, almost twenty four trillion dollars. That's the deficit. Two thousand five, it was nine trillion. I mean, it's it's they're spending Which out of control. Like a huge amount back then. And yeah, now the fact that it's almost like uh, tripled is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And uh, the, the U.S. Comptroller for three presidents, David Walker, has been talking about this since he left uh, his appointment that the spending problem is not a partisan issue. It's a bipartisan issue. No matter if there's a Democrat or a Republican in office, they can't stop spending money and can't, can't, can't stop driving that deficit up. So there's a tax consequence to that. We're going to pay more taxes. Also, there's going to be... Um, what I was getting at is the, the only other place that, that this is similar, this, this spending issue, this government deficit, that looks familiar to compared to other countries is Greece or... Um, there's another country over there that just had a big meltdown, but I mean that's where we're going. <laughs> that's yeah. that's that's one of the uh, the you know the hey, take a look at that. That's happening. Where has that happened before? Oh, a place that had a big financial meltdown, a big government economic meltdown. And that, that's and that's strictly because nobody's been able to recover yet. Is that what you're saying? Right, and and they can't they can't make an adjustment to stop spending to keep that under control. They're either going to have to raise taxes. Um, they're going to have to change rules and hide money. They're going to have to do something really creative, or they're going to have to print money, which is what they're doing now. They're printing money, which sure. devalues our money. So if they do that, that I mean, that on top of what happens in the housing market pre-2008, I mean, you're going to have some type of huge bubble or yeah. impact in the housing market, which was we saw that happen. We did personally in right. 2008. That wasn't good. Now, I don't know the ins and outs and the mortgages, how they lend stuff, but I do know there was a lot of regulations. And now that we're far away from 2008, that's kind of a distance. It's the All wild, wild west rules again. They kind of went away. Yeah. All of a sudden. Oh, oh, there's a loophole here. There's, oh, we don't do it that way anymore. We do it this way, which is the same darn thing. I am shocked right now how easy it is to go get money. It's it scary. Is, it is and the interest really, rates are low. Really they don't want to raise interest rates because of other economic uh, factors and impacts. Um, market's been really good. They don't want to, and, and they call it at the ta- we're at the tail end of the largest bull market we've had in many many years. The market's been good. People are making money. Raise interest rates. What's going to happen? It's going to dive. You know that that always if they raise interest the rates, there's some kind of negative yeah. consequence. You gotta for you know for every reaction, there's a reaction. Right. I, I just don't see how they can keep doing this. And if they're they're lending money out like this. Like so easy to get, and these big houses need a big loan. You know, there's going to be some type of of bubble, or there's going to be some type well, of negative impact. And look, twenty years, thirty years down the road, you can have these big houses. Nobody's going to want to buy them because if we if 2008 happens, or something similar, doesn't even have to be that bad. 
People are like, screw that. I mean, there's already yep. people out there who saw their parents go through 2008 saying, I'm not going to live like that. Oh, yeah. That's why these millennials don't want to buy a big house. That's why they don't want to work through traditional jobs. They want a quality of life. Well, and you bring up a great point because when I'm looking at that too, Ryan, I'm looking and I'm saying, so what is the change? Because we are, we're looking at a situation where if money's easy to get mm-hmm. and they can go get those loans, those houses should not be sitting there for 180 days. 250 days on the market. That shouldn't happen. But do you know what is changing? A psychological shift in the buyer, like you kind of touched on. They saw people go through that. And in addition to that, millennials are starting families at at later ages ages in life. They are working more. Less children. They have more uh, uh, debt coming out of college because they are more educated. Um, but they're doing that with some caveats. And when they do decide to finally start having kids, they don't have nearly as many. The whole concept of, you know, three and a half kids, 3.5 kids with a white picket fence, that doesn't exist to them anymore. They, they, less is more for them. They want to simplify their lives, not overcomplicate things. And especially now with both parents almost making it a requirement to work. Yeah, to be able to survive, pay bills. They, that's where your money's going and you're not going to overextend yourself. They saw that their American dream has shifted and you are saying in that regard, yeah, guess what? These guys are more educated. They saw the generation before them go through it. They're going to pump the brakes a little bit and say, eh, I don't want your dream. I don't want what you told me to sign up for that McMansion that was blowing up in the eighties and you couldn't look anywhere else without seeing a new suburb with, you know, the, the, the beautiful backyard in the swimming pool and everything else like that. That's all right. You keep that. I don't want it. Uh, You know, too, I'm just thinking part of the rules, one of the requirements after 2008 for mortgage companies and banks where they had to show the buyer you know, the, the person getting the mortgage, the amortization schedule. So I don't think it's it, actually the language says that exactly, but they have to show them how much they're going to pay at interest at the, at the end of the loan. And that's a new thing? That's a new thing. You didn't have to do that before. Because those numbers are scary. Oh, yeah. Those numbers, those numbers are like five times the amount of what, you're, you actually, oh, yeah. what your purchase price is. And you're like, wait a second, that can't that's be why right. When you buy a car or finance a car or finance a house, what do you want your... They're, the question, the salesperson or the mortgage person says, what do you want your monthly payment to be? Because they'll figure out a way to get as close to that as possible. Sure, because they're going to extend that loan from, the term. instead of 60, 60 months, we're going to put you at 72 months. And then, yeah, you're going to only, I actually had this experience the, mm-hmm. just the other day. Uh, I had gotten a quote on uh, uh, an auto loan. Mm-hmm. Originally, it was 3.5% over 72 months. I'm like, oh, that's not bad. No big deal. Go to actually do the paperwork. Oh, you know, we got a little snag here. So we're going to, you know, we're going to do it over 60 months, but it's only going to be, uh, but we're going to have to increase the interest rate 4%. to six and a half. What? You I know, go that, that extra, that extra 3% is going to cost me $7,000 over the course of five years. Thanks, but no thanks. You should call Ryan Kirsten State Farm. Do you guys do auto loans? Yeah, we do. So anyway, um, that on top of the amortization schedule is scary, like you said. If you do the math, you pay a majority of the interest the first couple of years. So if you're doing a 30-year or 15-year mortgage, you're, I mean, think about that. Some of those, like you just said, you could pay almost the same amount as the sale price of the house in interest. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. So I show people this when I'm trying to show them um, how, why to implement a cash value life insurance policy into their, into their financial plan. 
Um, it's like to use it as a purchasing tool because if you continue to finance things with, with lenders, you're spending so much money and interest to them that they love you. They, they, that's how you keep them in business. You keep yeah. their lights on because they're making so much money on you. And here's what I'm t- talking about. I put the amortization schedule in. I said, here's a 30-year loan for your mortgage. Look at this, the amount that goes to the interest and versus the principal in the first few years. Then look at how much interest total you pay on this lifeless loan. Is You almost bought the house twice. Yeah. It's yeah. scary. Well, so, and a lot of people, they don't, people don't stay in their homes for 30 years anymore. No, it's not like no, it used to be. And actually there, and there's a lot to be said. I, there's some people who can really make some good money off of just moving wisely. You know, they'll jump from house to house and maybe they'll clear 30 grand every two or three years by doing it right. And, and wisely, um, shopping around and moving around. You don't see that often because a lot of people are scared to do that. Um, but they don't have an emotional connection to the house. Um, they're just, they're moving because they can make a quick buck. And then if you keep doing that, you're really only paying interest for a a short period of time, um, and making your money as you leave. Yeah. Yeah. I I got a buddy that, that was, did very well doing that climb, like dug himself out of a hole. It was quite impressive. But, if I um, didn't have kids, I'd be all over that. Yeah, it's a. I mean, I, I met a one of my relatives, distant relatives. Their parents are really well off, and uh, they have family money. But they said they made more money personally by flipping, like buying houses, selling it, and moving than they did in their jobs. And I believe normal. it. I believe so it. So it's crazy. They live in California, so I mean, that's a different, different world. Yeah. But still, I mean, there's guys that do this out here, um, and I don't know. They're just animals. Like they'll they have a full time business where they're going nine to five, and they're still flipping houses, and they live in them. Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. What do you think right now the average uh, house size is for uh, for the average American? Where do you think we're at house wise? Like size size of the house, the house square footage uh, twenty two two thousand square feet, I'd say. So we're actually, you're close. I mean, we're up to 2,700 square feet for your average okay. house size, which is, which is a pretty big house. That's about yeah, the house two, size to, I live house. in. And, yeah. you know, that's pretty average across the board. But this is almost twice the size of the average home size in the 70s when the suburbs were really just coming into full swing. Mm. So we've seen over the course of 30, 40 years these the home size double, but guess what got smaller? Funnily enough, what the lot size? Ah. Your lot size is actually on average smaller than what it used to be. So we only care about stuff. We care about how much, oh, how how big we can make our house, how much stuff we can pack into it. So true. Instead of you know, I have a nice piece of land. We're lucky. We're fortunate enough to be on a whole acre. But you, you know who makes stuff? Who China? You know yeah. you know you know who makes land? Nobody. Yeah, exactly. God. Yeah. So buy as much land as you can now. I God mean, ain't making any more of it. No. But at the, it's done. so it, and it's finite. It went from an average of 0.22 to 0.19, which isn't a huge mm. dip, but it just shows where our priorities are. Um, when you're building new homes, you want to fit as much as possible into the smallest area because the money is going to be made in the house and not the, the land. land itself. You yeah. know, and we don't care about harvesting land anymore or, you know, living off the land. It's very few and far know. between. Okay. So, you know, the guy that was in the big, uh, short, the guy yes, who predicted, yeah, the predicted it. That- so in the movie, it was played by Christian Bale. 
great, great movie. Movie's and awesome. If anybody's listening to this and they like talking cash, you're going to love The Big Short. It's just as in the yeah. way they shoot that and the the comedic element of it. It's it's a great film. So that guy, Christian Bale's character, which I forget his name, I should know it, but he I, he was just recently, maybe in the last two years, was on interviewed and say, "What do you what do you where, where are you putting your money now?" He saw him land buying land, farmland. That is interesting. Okay, so this is the guy who predicted the biggest financial crisis of our, uh, well, probably, I don't want to say century. He saw it before anybody else did. And he's in his office with whiteboards and everything else, and people are saying, what are you What are you doing, basically? Like, what are you, well, how are you seeing this? And nobody really understood, like, what he was trying to say, and they thought he was kind of crazy for yeah, even- his boss wanted to fire him. I yeah. didn't want to cut ties with him. Yeah, and I think at the end of the movie, he said the, the other thing that he was most concerned about as far as the next- uh, uh, the next big issue was going to be a water shortage. I think wasn't that the whole thing he was uh, worried about? Uh, like they, they, I don't remember that, but I mean that kind of go goes along with the buying of yes, land, buying absolutely. large quantity of farmland. I mean, but nobody wants to farm it right now because there's a, there's no uh, you're not really. The farmers aren't making money hand over fist. No, they're they're, they're you, dying. It's a dying industry. You're right, but you know what? That here's why that's a problem. On that U.S. debt clock, that'll work. Anyone can go on this. They used to be, like, it shows the deficit, shows what their taxable income is, and then below that, it shows, okay, the six largest budget items. Those six items were uh, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Social Security, um, interest on debt, um, net securities, pensions for, you know, senators and congressmen and stuff like that, um, and defense and war. Well, this year they added three different uh, budget buckets, and one of them is farm subsidies. I mean, they're spreading uh, yeah. serious dough because they need people to to farm farm. There's and an get issue. It out there, there. There's a big. I mean, they added that on there. We're talking about this right now. Nobody wants to farm farm this year in Michigan. I think in the whole Midwest there was a huge issue. It was really wet. There wasn't a lot of corn planted, um, so they did in like a percentage. Everybody was down a hundred, like um, so from from one to ten. I think 80%, so eight uh, was the the highest percent of corn planted, what they expected in, gotcha. the, in these Midwest states. So that's down. I mean, who knows what the impact of that's going to be? I, I have no idea. Well, I, even, I was watching this thing, and for some reason, I have no idea why, but it was on ESPN2. But it was like this guy talking of uh, farmers out in the Midwest, and they asked, how many dairy farmers do you have in your area now? And they said, one. And he's on his way out. And they said, well, what was it like 30 years ago? Easily over a hundred. Yeah, that's that's a that is what we lived off of. But I mean, that just goes to show, though, you don't. Nobody wants. It's a lot nobody, of hard work. For nobody wants. Uh, yeah, nobody absolutely. Wants and it's more of a generational thing. But we found ways to, you know, duplicate meat. You know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah. You're, 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 what does they call it? The Wonder Burger, or the Impossible Burger, Burger yeah. Imposter Burger, Impossible Burger. There's a bunch of different names for it. It's 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 just faux meat and. Jury's still out on that one. Yeah. But, you know, that just goes, goes to show our psychology and our makeup as a nation is changing. And the same way it changed with farmland, you're going to, it's, you're going to see a change with the American dream and the, the desire to be in those suburbs. That's going to go away. I have no doubt in my mind that if we're predicting something here, that is going to be the next thing. Even in a good economy, even in a good um, market, you will see this be an issue where it never was before. So say you're wrong. Okay, say you're wrong. I've heard that before. Yes, but 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 I, I definitely see 
industries consolidate all the time, like uh, and markets and and the things consolidate all the time. Sure. It's just like the farmers, they consolidate. Big, they can become these big, big farming. I forget what they're called, but they're a group of farmers that have one farm and they all work together. But co-ops, I think they're called. Sure. But, um, if the housing market doesn't crash, it's not getting any better. Uh, it's not getting any worse. There's you know there's a finite number of uh, uh, well there's enough things going wrong where the outlook isn't that great. Sure. Um, but if you're wrong, I mean, the people who, for, so all you listeners, the people who can save and have a conscious, uh, plan that, that anticipates a drop, a negative, uh, an adjustment. If you can plan for that, put your, put your money somewhere safe. Don't overextend yourself on a mortgage. Don't overextend yourself on these purchase. Be careful about financing. Um, you're going to be in a much better situation to capitalize on one of those market failures. Oh, there's... There's some definite opportunities out there. There's a there's a, there's some people who made some serious dough who are in the right positions back mm-hmm. in 2008. They didn't let loot or they didn't slow down. They made a lot of money and they were the ones who were manipulating a lot of that whether through policy or whether through mm-hmm. uh, the banking system, but these were people who had the opportunity and they saw that. And there's actually a new book out. I, 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 the name escapes me, but it's about the guys who were at the forefront of that. And there, you should always be positioning yourself to, uh, to tackle the market when you get into it. Because this is what I said the other day. I think I tweeted this out. I said, when the next recession hits, are you positioned yourself to survive or thrive. You have two options. You're either going to be scrambling or you're going to be gambling with other people's money because guess what? Those people still need a, ho- a place to live. There was somebody who paid, I, I was when I was listening to that conversation about the guy in the book, he said, back in 2008, there's a woman who lost her house. Somebody bought it up and said, you can live here. Do you know what she paid over the course of like, five years just in rent alone. It was like, oh, like almost 50,000 some odd dollars that she could have put into equity in her home, but because she didn't have the opportunity to do so, she was upside down and she couldn't afford it. She had to pay one way or another because she was paying rent, but all that money just went away. You know, it's crazy. I mean, that terrible situation, but that, that I listened to NPR. They did a segment on these, the impact of the financial crisis there's so many stories like that. Oh yeah, we I we know people in our own backyard. I mean, literally, there are people in our area who saw that happen and for the most part, everybody bounced back. They were able to if you were able to maintain your home in that 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 process into 2008, but I was reading an article the other day that said, you know, more so now than ever, people are staying put. They're not moving like they used to mm. because they realize that everything they have is in their house right now. They're going to stick around. They're going to put money into it and update it. And even in a market where they could easily go and sell and make some money. And do you know, I think it's because they don't want to buy in this market. It's a no. terrible market to buy. Well, there's in. a lot of confidence loss. I mean, usually your house back, back before 2008, your house is a sure bet. I mean, the, the value will grow. They're not a sure bet anymore. It's not. I don't see how some of these houses could. You look at you look at these ones. We're in the process of of house hunting, and you see these price tags of anywhere between four hundred to six hundred thousand dollars. And 
it is they need so much updating. Yeah. It's I, still going to cost them. you another $200,000 to do everything because now you're remodeling a 4,000 square foot home instead of a 2,000 square foot home. I'm telling you that the millennials don't want this and I'm a millennial who wants this. So I'm <laughs> not using my own personal experience. I'm telling you what I see around from my my uh, colleagues and friends and whoever else and people who are out there. Or how other people are responding or acting. How people are acting. They don't want this. I'm telling you, they don't want it. Yeah. I, I mean, we moved into a 20 plus year old house. There's a lot of updating that needs to happen. We got quotes on, on cabinets, kitchen, flooring. So expensive to I was like, well, if right we now, do that, we might as well just bought a brand new house. Yeah. You know, smaller house, but brand new. We wouldn't have to do all this. It's crazy. Uh, housing is so expensive. It's a big cost. You know, I, I hope we're in this one forever, but, um, cause do you, do you buying, think you will be, I, I hope so. Cause it's, buying houses is so stressful. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to, I, I'd like to keep it more of like a family thing. Like, you know, we keep the family there because of this issue you're talking about. Right. I don't want my kids to kind of go through what I did. I want to have a plan for them. Listen, you know, you guys can take over the house. This is why. And, and I want them to, to talk about it. instead of just, just trying to go make your own way on this housing thing, save your money, sure. stay here, but, you know, be able to be able to, to capitalize on these opportunities and don't extend yourself like everybody else is doing because they put you in a better position to, to win. But you're also assuming at that point that as teenagers or young adults, they're going to want to do what you tell them to do. We, we, we can talk cash and we can sit here and, and, and kind of give guidance for opening up that dialogue with your kids about it, but there's no guarantee they're going to want to do that. Yeah, that's true. And when you're, you know, when you see that, and like you said, it's a psychological thing. If they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. Yeah. And yeah, it helps save money, but there's going to be a point, you know, 30 years from now, Ryan, where you say the kids are out of the house. I don't, I don't want, I can't be in this big house. That's how we came into this house. Right. That's how you got that house in the yeah. first place. You, you, it was the, that, you know, it was your in-laws and you had a great opportunity, but who's your buyer in 30 years out there for a house like that? That's you what have I'm a beautiful I'm home. I'm to keep it in but, the family because <laughs> right. there's not going to be there's one. No, there's no guarantee that they're going to want that. You, you yeah. actually, you want your kids to go off and do, you know, not necessarily live a different life than you did, but explore their own options. And those might not align with, uh, you know, those options might not align with what you have planned out for them. And guess what? Then you're scrambling to find a buyer for a $600,000, $700,000 house out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good luck. Yep. Not going to happen. But uh, so let me, let me, let me kind of just, uh, dial it in. Yeah. Dial it in a little bit here. So uh, what do the next 10 years look like? Let's say not something as catastrophic as 2008, but even a small market correction. Okay. We've got roughly 10,000 boomers retiring every day. And with retirement comes downsizing. When they have to cash out of their biggest investment, that suburban home that they have, competing with a surplus of inventory and a scarce market of buyers, panic is going to set in. They're going to have to dip into retirement. They're going to have to dip into savings to continue to cover that mortgage Um because they've got no way to move it on the market. So, you know, this is going to be a scary time, I think. I think we're going to see some, some, some things that we've never seen before in our economy because this has never been an issue before. We've been building, building, building. I see people building new homes every day, the amount of subdivisions, the amount of houses in those subdivisions. And I'm asking myself, 
where the hell are all these buyers? And guess what? They don't exist. They don't exist. They're not there because these houses and the subdivisions on the, the empty lots, they've been there for over a year. I think to a certain extent, this is already starting to happen. You are going to see these buyers uh, or, or the, the developers and the builders, they can't sit on these houses much longer because this is a good, this is a good uh, market for the seller. And if houses aren't moving now, what's going to happen when things change in you know, the next six months, a year, two years out? We know there's going to be a market correction. Yeah. And once again, I just have to go back to talking cash. There's going to be a problem. I, I don't know. I mean, if you're right, I, I just, we saw it 2008. So my, my uh, skepticism and trust in the housing market is there's really not a whole lot. Regardless of what your what your uh, the realtor tells you or whatever. Oh, they're they're gonna talk it up. They're gonna they're gonna remain positive. They always do. They have to. I mean, that's their business. But and I think part of them, they, part of them, they think that it is always gonna be like that. Yeah, I, I just I just see the, all these shifts, and I just see you said ten thousand boomers retiring every day. Yeah, that's ten thousand more people eligible to take Social Security. Ten thousand more people eligible to take Medicare benefits. That's a stress on the uh, government-provided uh, systems that are funded by tax dollars. So everything you're saying is is related to um, a, a government issue, a budget issue. A deficit twenty-three trillion dollars. There's there's these these things right now are just uh, their their waters filling up and they're they're expanding and they're reaching a breaking point. Something's gonna give, and I don't know what that's gonna look like. But I do think since we're talking cash, you need to people need to understand you need to be ready for this. And I I'm just like you, I want to capitalize on this. When oh this yeah. Happens. So don't overextend yourself. Make sure you have your money in something that when this happens, you can get it fast. You can you can you can capitalize on the, any opportunity, and you're gonna get that money before the other investor, the other guy can come forward to it and you don't lose. Yeah. And the other thing, Ryan, like you said, it's being prepared. I think a lot of people, the, the, especially the boomer generation, they've had it so good for so long that they don't understand that this could potentially be a problem that they face. No, they don't. It's because it, it's been it's over out, of the sight, last, out of mind since the nineties has not been an issue. Well, uh, right. The, the rest, the last president that ran on a, uh, uh, government spending platform was the first George Bush, and it wasn't that. I mean, he really didn't run, and that wasn't that part big a big of part of his uh, campaign. But it did. It did. People did care about it slightly, and he cared about it greatly. Um, and he did a uh, investigation. On, hey, listen, how can we fund the government better? What are the other avenues to to get money? Okay, that. That was a concern of his. And ever since then, it has not been. It's not been. Nobody cares. Right. And baby boomers, okay, we'll figure it out. Something will happen. They'll change something. Me, I saw 2008 happen. No, it's going to fail. The people, the systems, the institutions that, that we think are going to have our back and figure it out, they don't. They will let us f- suffer. We, 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 the little people, will hurt. Guys, the good times as we know it are coming to an end. And I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm, I'm being a glass half empty kind of guy. I'm saying it because I'm being realistic. It can't keep up. And we have a surplus and we have a time that we're growing up in that everybody just has this opportunity to get into the house and do whatever they want. But 
it's not going to keep up. It's just not. So what do you have to do? Anything with cash comes down to being educated. Don't overextend yourself. Don't, uh, don't go into it with the expectation that you will be able to get out of this house because it may not happen. I know going into it right now, I, I told my wife, I said, if we buy this house tomorrow, you have to understand there may come a time where we want to leave, but can't. How many people have that conversation with their spouse? They don't. They don't. It, it's just one of those things. They it's see emotional. That, I want to, I got to live this. I'm going to be so oh, happy. Like, I, we'll yes, figure it yeah, out. The three car garage. Yeah. Oh, oh man, this has got the, the open floor concept. I love it. This <laughs> is exactly what we want. Guess what? Nobody's going to buy it from us when we need to retire. So no. you keep looking for those ranches because you're going to need it when, uh, when those legs yeah, and knees get, don't work get, like they get, used to. Get a bunk bed. <laughs> Let the what's, kids bunk up. What's your best advice for somebody when they're 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 looking for a home or trying to decide if now's the right time to buy for them? Oh, geez. Okay, so I would just say when you're shopping houses, go when you shop your mortgage. See what you're eligible for. Like those companies, they'll say, "Oh, this is what you're qualified for." Ask them for an amortization schedule and have them go through that steps. Like, what am I actually going to pay? What that's going to look like when I pay this loan off? That is a. Um, that's a enlightening experience, okay? And it's going to make your decision-making, uh, okay, am I going to go for the big house and maybe go a little bigger, spend a little more, or am I going to go with these big houses and be a little more conservative? It's going to help that decision, okay? And then also, you know, there's other things you could do. It's like understand where you're at, understand the market. 2008, I mean, it was a terrible time. Anytime you're going to go into these big houses or or a small house anyway, whatever the Any size, house. whatever your budget is, yeah. understand how much you're going to be paying for that and understand, hey, what's my next step? Right now, people aren't living in houses more than six years. They move. Which is surprising because my parents, we grew up in the same house. We lived in the same house all my life. Too. We never moved. But and it new, was very rare that somebody did move. Yeah, but people now, I mean, they're moving. Just like people used to go to one job and yeah. retire out of that job, get a pension. That doesn't we've happen had that, We've either. had that conversation. Traditional, yeah. fun, traditional met, what your parents told you, tribal knowledge is not what's happening today. What your parents tell you about how you should invest your money, how you should buy your houses, where you should work, those, those plans, those strategies aren't working anymore. Okay, this you need is, to get on the forefront on things and know there's no guarantees. You need to be you need to be very frugal with your money. You need to put your stuff, you need to invest in things that that you have access, that you have control in and you can move when you want. Also, you don't want to tie yourself to a freaking mortgage because this situation is going to happen. You, these big houses will not sell like this in 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 the right. in the future. I don't know when. There's Three, always 10, a generation or a group that comes up in a bad market. Yeah. It will happen. The house is not a guaranteed investment anymore. And that's why you have to read between the lines a little bit and figure out the real numbers and really know going into it. Ask the right questions. I mean, you know, you look at it, my advice would always be if you can't put 20% down on the house, you can't Don't afford the it. house. Right. That's good advice. Because Guess what? If a market, let's say you do have a crash that happens and you do need to get out or you lose a job and, and there's always going to be a buyer out there, but to have that equity into the house so that you don't owe more than it's worth is a huge advantage as a homeowner. So I've seen people who go in and they put 10% down or less, and you really have to wonder are they positioning themselves to be successful or are these people going to be house poor? And if something catastrophic happens, boom, they're done. There goes the house. You're starting from scratch. I don't know about you. I don't want to be in that position. No, no, no. Don't put yourself in that position. So it happened. Think differently. 
you know, we hope that this kind of stuff doesn't happen, but I think it's something that we have to bring to light because talking cash, that is an important thing that people overlook. What do you guys think about it? We want to know what our listeners think too, as far as when you see the next crash or are we, are we being too doom and gloom? Is, is, is the, is the market going to ride high forever? Best way to get a, get a hold of us is on Twitter at we talking cash. Um, Follow along with us. We'll keep putting out more content for you guys. Ryan, any notes on this Thanksgiving Eve as we sign off here? Uh, I just know a nice glass of fine, smooth bourbon goes well with turkey. Uh, So enjoy it, my friends. And it leads to a really good nap afterwards. (laughs) And you know what? Don't be afraid to have these conversations around the Thanksgiving table because it's really important to be open and have a dialogue about money and how it works Uh, because guess what? You might learn something in the process and that's never a bad thing. So once again, I'm signing off. This was Zach Hayes, Ryan Kirsten. That was another episode of Talking Cash. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Have a good one.